0: Coming up on the Keto Camp podcast, we bring on Sarah Kleiner.
1: Understand how your hormones work on a circadian rhythm. That is where it clicks for you as to why you don't want to be eating later in the day if your goal is autophagy, if your goal is weight loss, if your goal is optimal health. You really want to eat earlier in the day when the cortisol is a little bit higher and you're more insulin sensitive in the morning. So there's research that shows, you know, the same meal that you eat in the beginning of the day is actually processed different if you eat it at the end of the day, your body is more able to uh, utilize that food for fuel, break it down, utilize those macronutrients if you eat it in the beginning of the day versus the end of the day.
0: Hey Keto Camper, Ben Izzotti here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast. I'm very excited to be with you today. As I always say, thank you for pressing play. Today we bring on the amazing Sarah Kleiner to talk about some very fascinating topics. She's gonna to start with her backstory, battling with energy, weight, mood, sleep problems, most of her life, several miscarriages, and some of the things she did to take control over her health. It started with carnivore, it evolved to different variations of carnivore. She was a vegan. It destroyed her health. You'll hear that backstory. And then we get into some really incredible geeky topics. So if you're somebody who loves the geeky topics, this is for you. We get into circadian rhythm, the best time to eat your foods, uh, why it's important to actually eat more breakfast and lunches and skip your dinner. This is a paradigm shift for those who practice intermittent fasting because like many, and myself included, we're so used to skipping breakfast. You know, I used to call breakfast the dumbest meal of the day. I talk about that. My mindset has changed. You know, the science has changed and it's always changing, but she's going to make the case, and I agree with her, that it's better to have your calories earlier on in the day. We'll talk about the problem with wearing sunglasses, how the sun has different red light, blue light spectrums at different times of the day, how the sun is so healing, the most important times to get outside. How We have this circadian clock, this internal clock, the suprachiasmatic nucleus, and what happens with melatonin and sunshine exposure. What happens with our cortisol cycle and why some are prone to sunburn and those are not. We talk about why she decided to quit strict carnivore some of the things that red light therapy can do that are just mind-blowing. I love red light therapy, and I've been using it for years. I've studied photobiomodulation, and I learned a ton of new things about increasing gut diversity, uh, helping with sleep, what it does with melatonin, and what it did for her to actually conceive at the age of 40. Super cool. We also get into how circadian rhythm helps with histamine issues, the pros and cons of cold therapy, how to gauge your nervous system with heart rate variability, and then, of course, leptin, the hormone leptin, which is a very important hormone to understand how it works in the body, and a lot more. You're going to love Sarah. She is amazing. Go check her out on her podcast, the Evolving Wellness Podcast, and her awesome YouTube channel as well. Before I bring her on, I want to get to today's Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Tipix titled, Wow, What an Awesome Podcast. I listened to you on the Resetter podcast, love Dr. Mindy, and had to find you on Keto Camp immediately. Your energy, excitement, and enthusiasm are so inspiring, not to mention your vast knowledge about ketosis, the ketogenic diet, flexing, etc., and all the tips and tricks. Your content is so powerful. It changed my mind and my family's lives. Thank you, thank you. Wow, what a review. I love Mindy. Her podcast is amazing. Everybody go subscribe to it, the Resetter podcast. I'm so glad and so grateful you found me on there. I appreciate you. I'm very grateful it's changing your life and your family's lives as well. If you have not left the KetoCam podcast a rating or a review yet on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform, please do so right now. It really helps the show grow, and maybe I'll read your review on the next episode. Without further ado, let's chat with Sarah Kleiner. Sarah Kleiner is very passionate about helping people achieve true health. She's data-driven, She's a self-proclaimed geek like myself, and she specializes in teaching individuals how to retrain the hormonal energy management system of their bodies and incorporate proper nutrition to look and feel their absolute best. She's done a lot of guinea pig experiments, which we'll talk about, and she is committed to serving the world. Here is Sarah Kleiner. Sarah, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast.
1: Ben, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here with you today.
0: The honor is also mine. I'm I'm uh, so grateful for the conversation we're about to have, which is gonna, we're gonna geek out together. It's gonna be so much fun. Uh, I love what you're doing. I was just telling you offline, you've been growing since we last spoke when I was on your podcast. You said 2020, so many years ago. And uh, you've taken off, your YouTube channel has taken off, your podcast and your social media. But this wasn't like your life, meaning you struggled- for many years with your health. And I want you to go back to that journey, that pain to purpose journey that you had when you started noticing symptoms, when you started noticing your health declining and some of the things that you dealt with. And then we'll get into the the solutions that you discovered that led you down this path.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, I just really didn't care much about health. I didn't think much about it until my daughter regressed into non-speaking autism and, my whole life just flipped upside down. This this was, you know, 14, 15 years ago. And then I started thinking like, maybe <laughs> the standard allopathic model was flawed. Maybe that, you know, what we're told medically, all these things are totally flawed. And so I kind of w- went on this journey to figure out what happened to her, heal her. And at the same time, I was just diving into my own health because I was so stressed out. I wasn't sleeping My health started falling apart, so I went on a vegan diet because I thought that that was the most healthy diet for myself at the time. And I was really trying to take good care of myself. I became a yoga teacher, got really heavily involved in that, and my health completely fell apart. It was already, like, not great. (laughs) And then it completely fell apart after two years of veganism and the constant stress of of a child with non-speaking autism.
0: Did did the vegan diet in the beginning help at all?
1: For about six months. It did, okay. That's usually what I hear six months. And, you know, I had always really struggled with my weight my entire life. You know, I was 220 pounds in high school and I have been extremely overweight multiple times in my life. And so the vegan diet, I was like, I am so thin. You know, I, I look so good. I really didn't. I look back at pictures and I looked like a skeleton, you know, <laughs> but you have that body dysmorphia, um, when you've struggled with your weight as a child and you know, you know how it is your whole life. So you just think, Oh, I'm thin now. So I continued to do it until actually one of my yoga teachers was like, hey, you're falling apart. You're not going to be able to teach yoga. You're not going to be able to be of service to your community if you don't start eating some animal protein. And I needed to hear it from someone in the yoga community because I was very, you know, I wanted to do the right yoga thing and not kill animals and wanted to be peaceful and all of that. And so hearing that from him was like a big relief because he'd been a kind of a big deal yoga teacher in our community for 20 plus years. And I really trusted him. And so that kind of made me finally say, I'll eat some egg whites. I'll eat some chicken. <laughs> That's where I started. And I did feel better. I, I did start to feel better. And I kind of went to more of like a lots of plants and a little bit of protein sort of um, a lifestyle. And it, it helped for a while, but then again, a few years later, chronic stress of raising a child with special needs, working, teaching yoga full-time in studio, like very physical job. My body completely fell apart again. And it was at that point that I talked to a friend of mine who had been doing carnivore for five years or not five years, five months. And, um, she's like, I really think you need to try this before you start, you know, going down this rabbit hole of testing. And so I said, Fine, I will I will try carnivore um because I what else am I gonna do at this point? I'm miserable. I had IBS, my eczema that I had, I hadn't dealt with eczema since I was a kid, but it was back in full force, looked six months pregnant, five months pregnant all the time, joint pain. I was trying to teach yoga and practice, and it was it was painful. And I was 39. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. And so I started doing carnivore and within just like a couple of weeks, my stomach was flat with at the end of the 30 days, the joint pain was gone. I was like doing yoga again. My skin was totally clear. I mean, it was nothing short of a miracle. And I started my Instagram page. I started, I called it carnivore yogi. It was a total joke. Uh, It was like a spoof joke page, but (laughs)
0: it's kind of like an oxymoron. huh? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Because I was like, well, I'm still a full-time yoga teacher, but I'm doing the carnivore diet. And I kind of wanted to follow other people and kind of be in a community online of other people who were doing this kind of a crazy diet lifestyle.
0: What year was this? That was
1: in 2019. Okay. And so my account grew to like 10,000 followers with just in a few months, which was a complete accident. I did not mean to do that. And then people were just coming out of the woodwork like, Hey, can you help me? I'm struggling with all these issues. And so I was sharing my story, putting it out there. And at the same time, getting tons of people, asking for help. And I had kind of been in this helping profession for a decade plus. And so I went and got some certifications in nutrition. I already knew how to coach and so started working with people and helping them and, and it kind of blossomed into like a full-time gig. Uh, so it was yeah, very much by accident, but it's been, it's been a wild ride ever since for sure.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot of things that you've changed since that. Uh, I'm, I'm curious with the story, you went from eating some animals to only animals, uh, which is the complete opposite of a, a plant-based vegan diet. Was there a transition where you were doing keto uh, before you went carnivore? Usually there's a level to keto than then carnivore, but you went right into carnivore. I is what am you're not
1: a transition person. I'm like, a, let's just jump feet first in and just do Got it. <laughs> i think transitioning is a better idea i will say that for anybody out there listening if you can transition slowly that's going to be much more gentle on your body for sure but that's just not my style
0: Uh, no i get that i'm kind of like you i i I jump right in as well yeah it's just not common right it's usually the the in general like the trends go from like okay i'm unhealthy i'm eating a standard american diet maybe a vegan diet but then they get sick, and then it's like paleo, and then they feel good with paleo, whole 30, and then, okay, I hear about keto. Let's do keto, and then I feel good, and then carnivore is usually the level after that. It's usually the the, the steps for most people, but you went from vegan to some animal products to full-on carnivore, and, uh, and it worked. Look, all those symptoms got better uh, because you removed all these anti-nutrients. You started to heal the gut, give it a break. At what point did you transition? Because you did some testing with Carnivore. I saw on your YouTube channel. I'd love to share a little bit about the testing you did specifically for Carnivore and some of the things you saw with it.
1: Yeah, you know, after about a year is when I started thinking "Mm, things are not optimal, right? Like I started noticing Was gaining a little bit of weight. I was feeling more tired. I was just having a few issues pop back up, and you know, I was deep into the carnivore community, and so I was being kind of told, "Carnivore harder, fast more." You know, you're starting to gain weight. You just need to fast more and do more OMAD and this, that, and the other. And um, my hormones, my T3 was low, so that was an issue sex hormone binding globulin was high. You know, I think this is a common, very common, <laughs> a common pattern I see with people that do these diets for too long. Correct. And so the, I was starting to run into that electrolyte issues. Yeah. And that's where I really where I was. And then the blood glucose was kind of hovering in the nineties, low 100. So it was kind of almost this, like, my body was having a stress response clearly. Uh, but I was stubborn. And so I switched to a high fat carnivore. So I was going like really, really high fat, lots of beef suet, butter, you know, fat trimmings, and just a little bit of protein. That kind of, <laughs> at first, it felt better, but then I ended up t- kind of tanking things a little bit more. And so Um, It wasn't really until I was decided I wanted to try to get pregnant that I was like willing to shift some things and started having miscarriages. That's when I was like, okay, clearly the diet needs to shift. Clearly this is part of something that needs to shift because my hormones are not optimized uh, by any means at all. Low testosterone, low progesterone, low leptin. So I became very interested in leptin and my leptin was very, very low. Uh, which is not optimal for fertility, not optimal for (laughs) weight, for any of that stuff. And so that's kind of, it, it was the miscarriages and the inability to get pregnant that finally made me get out of my stubborn carnivore bubble because I was very attached to the people, the community, lovely, lovely, great, wonderful people. I'm still friends with quite a few of them. But I was just very much into like, okay, well, they keep saying if I just do this a little bit better, tweak this a little bit better, things will improve. And they just were not improving, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, kudos to you for not staying in the dogmatic box. It's it's hard to get out of that box, but it's not healthy to be in that box. And, and to your point, I see that all the time with long-term ketosis, long-term carnivore, any kind of restrictive uh, dietary patterns that you do too long. And they're all great tools but they 're not the only tool, right, so for like the t three is a perfect example that 's so common when you have chronically low levels of insulin you 're not going to it helps to convert t four to t three and then boom, you don't have this active thyroid hormone that is so important for so many functions and the leptin thing is interesting, and I want you we're going to go a little bit deeper into leptin later on in the episode, but let's touch upon it real quick with your situation and i've seen this very commonly with long term continuous ketosis low leptin levels and you also see that with somebody who's eating like a high carbohydrate diet, standard American diet, like this leptin resistance sort of thing. And then it gets better and then it goes back to this resistance. So, what exactly is happening there?
1: So, leptin is like a master circadian signaling hormone that it impacts all your sex hormones, thyroid hormones. There's, I mean, it's like this huge signaling hormone. And Essentially, when you become leptin resistant, you can either have leptin that's too low or leptin that's too high, and so We, when we're looking at leptin, we need to consider the types of foods that we eat. So protein is really, really important for leptin. We need to consider meal timing. So getting breakfast and getting that leptin signaling in the morning is super important. Um, And I had been doing like a ton of like chronic fasting, you know, just skipping breakfast every single day. And so I think that can, that's why you tend to see a lot of like carnivore keto people, they've been doing that for a while, the fasting in the morning that can also create low leptin.
0: That makes sense.
1: Yeah. And just kind of constantly being in this state of ketosis, having, you know, no carbohydrates, nothing like that, that can also create a low leptin situation for people. And so there's a lot of things. And then if you're eating like most people don't have this problem, I'm finding this is just like an issue with people who are kind of in the keto, low carb kind of space. It's not necessarily people who are eating like a regular diet. Most people have high leptin and they're leptin resistant. They have elevated leptin, right? And so it's, yeah, when I started focusing on leptin and kind of creating a diet and a lifestyle plan to get my leptin levels back into an ideal range. That's when I started seeing the most change with my hormones. That's when I started seeing the most change with my weight because I had gained 20 pounds. It felt like it was seemingly out of nowhere while on carnivore.
0: You gained 20 pounds on a carnivore.
1: I did, yeah,
0: <laughs> wow. I did,
1: yeah, and I was fasting. I wasn't eating every day till two, and I kept on being like, "All right, I need to fast." Like I said, the carnivore people are telling me, "You need to fast harder. You need to carnivore harder. Do do yeah. it this way." And nothing was working, and I just was getting more and more inflamed and more and more frustrated. And so, yeah, I had I when I started approaching things less from the view of like a dogmatic um, diet and more from the viewpoint of leptin that's when I started seeing the most change
0: interesting would you classify this form of low leptin from excessive fasting ketosis carnivore as a a form of leptin resistance or would you call Mm -hmm. it something else
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I call it a form of leptin resistance. High leptin, low leptin. I mean, you treat them a little bit differently, but you're still gonna have a lot of the same issues for sure.
0: Okay. We're gonna we're gonna get back into the circadian part. Uh, I just wanted to touch upon that with your your backstory. Let's continue your story with carnivore. Did you do I saw on your YouTube you did some gut testing too? What what did you mm-hmm, see with I the did. gut test?
1: Um, so not a lot of diversity.
0: <laughs> yeah, know? which makes sense because you were eating the <laughs> right. same foods over and over.
1: Right, not a lot of diversity, um low acromancia, some different I guess gut bacteria that would actually cause me to hold on to more weight. They were, it was like you have like a higher percentage like a 50 to 100% chance of being overweight based on your gut bacteria. Oh, so wow. it was, yeah, it was really interesting. And so yeah, that's the gut testing was interesting. Um Which
0: test, which company did you use?
1: That was at the time it was Thrive. Um that's what I okay. was using. Yeah. Yeah, the cool thing is I was able to really correct that using more circadian principles and red light therapy on my gut, grounding, going outside. So it did. I and I didn't really involve taking like a ton of probiotics or like doing a bunch of different things with my diet. It was more the circadian piece that was able to correct that, which was pretty cool.
0: Very cool. You can't fix a gut with just throwing probiotics at it. It's actually could cause more problems taking the same probiotic over and over and over for a long period of time. Hey, when was the last time you bit into a juicy burger or a perfectly cooked steak and thought to yourself, this is the best thing I've ever tasted? If it's been a while, it's probably because most meat products are conventionally raised, which not only affects the flavor profile, but significantly diminishes the beneficial nutrients and minerals. And believe it or not, even products that are labeled as grass-fed or ethically raised, to make you think they're high quality, are often finished on grain or in factory farms, which is why I am so excited to share something with you today that will not only help you avoid the hormones, antibiotics, and pesticide residues that diminish the taste of conventionally raised meat, but could also save you nearly $1,000 over the next year on your grocery bill. And the best part? this may be the best tasting thing you've had in a long time. So what the heck am I talking about? I'm talking about Wild Pastures Meat Delivery. They provide the highest quality meats from small, regenerative, family-run farms here in the United States that prioritize sustainability and animal welfare. Their beef is 100% grass-fed. Their pork and poultry are pasture-raised, something you won't find anywhere in the grocery store, resulting in meats that are not only healthier for you, but also better for the environment. One of the reasons why me and my fiance, Natasha loves wild pastures is that we can opt out out of supporting harmful conventional farming practices and instead support small family-run farms without spending a fortune. And the convenience doesn't stop there. They offer delivery straight to your door so you can enjoy delicious, high-quality meats without even leaving your house. very soon head to the podcast notes down below click the link enjoy your wild pastures okay let's get right back to this episode you know what's interesting is um i love carnivore uh personally but i never do it long term i don't teach it long term so i'll do 30 days 60 days i think that's my longest 60 days a couple times per year and i always feel amazing with it when i do it like for example. Right now, I'm on uh, day 11 of uh, carnivore. I'm doing it for 30 days. And every time I do it, I do different tests to see what's going on in my body. So this time around, what I'm doing is I did a stool test day one. I'm going to do a stool test day 30. I did comprehensive lab work day one, and I'm going to do the same test on day 30. I'm wearing a CGM, uh, monitoring my glucose levels, monitoring my ketones, looking at my heart rate variability, deep REM. So I'm looking at all these metrics and obviously how I feel And I'm going to put it all together and kind of share my results. And I want to hear your thoughts. I do believe it's still an incredible tool short term. The problem is doing it too excessively, right?
1: Yeah. And that's what the problem that I'm seeing, because I have a lot of courses now and I have a membership group that if you do one of my courses, you get a month in there. And so I can help you a little bit, do some kind of group coaching type of stuff. A lot of the women that are coming to me in the group have been keto and carnivore for years and they are in that same boat. It's a weird little niche of people where they have gained 20, 30 pounds, some people even more, and they've been keto carnivore, like super restricted fasting for years on end. And now they can't lose the weight. Doesn't matter how much more they restrict fast, all that stuff, exercise. It just kind of pushes the body into a more inflamed state. And so I do try to get out there and talk about this because you know, you kind of think you're crazy when you're going through it, you know, and if you watch like, uh, some of the bro dieting people that, you know, I both know like BioLane or they are really notorious for talking about how it's just laziness and you need to count calories harder and more. And the women that are coming to me are doing that. They're restricting and counting and they're getting worse. And so you have to approach things differently from a different lens, I think, if you want to get results.
0: I'm with you, Sarah. I I haven't heard one person come to me and I've spoken to thousands of people. I haven't heard one person come to me and say, man, that Lane Norton changed my life with his teachings. (laughs) Like He got my (laughs) hormones back. I've never heard one person say that. I've heard the opposite, that calorie counting has destroyed me and maybe neurotic or whatever it is. Um, and you're right. Uh, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result. I get so many comments on my YouTube channel and social media and messages saying, and you do too, Ben, I've been doing carnivore for three years. Ben, I've been doing ketovore for two years. Ben, I've been doing keto for five years and I hit a stall. I'm gaining weight. I'm not getting results. And I tell them the same thing. We got to mix it up. But it's hard f- for them to accept the fact that the diet they started doing that helped them so much is now the problem and they're scared of actually breaking it because they don't want to go back to the way it was before. So what's some advice you could give to that person listening and watching who's experiencing that right now?
1: Yeah. What I love to do for people is take the focus off so much of diet and really began to educate them on, uh, again, the leptin piece and how leptin is this master circadian signaling hormone and just kind kind of bring them out of that headspace of I have to do this diet. And like I said, I was very heavily involved and friends with a lot of the carnivores. And I had to kind of just say, this is not working for me. I love you, you're a wonderful person, but I have to kind of just slowly exit from this space for me, for myself mentally and put a new focus on, on my health. And so when I started educating myself again, about leptin, about circadian rhythms and about quantum physics and how the body works on that level of the mitochondria, it was very empowering for me. And so that's what I do with people who are in that situation is I don't even, I'm like, look, keep doing what you're doing if you want to for now, we're going to switch it up, but let's work on these other things for a bit first and, and start making some improvements there. And then we're going to pull, you know, pull some diet changes. But, um, that's my methodology with those people.
0: I love it. It's so important. Everything in the the earth is cyclical. We have four seasons, we have The high tide, low tide, we have women are menstruating. Everything is cyclical and our nutrition needs to be as such as well. We don't want to choose dogma over metabolic health and metabolic flexibility. I've been there myself too, Sarah. I was also a vegan in 2012 for a year and a half. Then I discovered keto and then I was super dogmatic about keto in 2014. And then you know, I I've figured it all out, you know, being the guinea pig, you're fi- you figured it all out being the guinea pig, and we go through that pain, so hopefully others don't have to go through the same pain. And the purpose for, for Carnivore, at least for me, is to remove these anti-nutrients, give my gut a break, right? And there's still some variations of carnivore. I call it flexing, meaning some versions of carnivore that you could still have carbs and still get the benefits of removing anti-nutrients, finding some specific plants that you do not do well with, maybe high oxalate plants, maybe having a little bit of some fruit. Like that's what I do. I'll have some fruit or some white rice, lower in these anti-nutrients. Would that be a good strategy as well? Do you teach similar principles?
1: Yeah. I like to start people out with, again, low, low anti-nutrient foods. I look at food on a seasonal uh, basis because, you know, your gut microbiome changes seasonally as well as your hormones. There's a lot of really interesting literature to show how, um, UV light and red and near infrared light also change the gut microbiome. And, you know, just by going outside and getting that natural signal, your gut microbiome is going to shift and change. And so when I look at carbohydrates, I look at what's growing locally and seasonally for you. What, what makes the most sense for you to have? So if we're in the middle of summer, then that could be some of the higher sugar fruits, right? Um, If we're in the dead of winter, there's less of that available. So I'm going to push people more towards like the root vegetables, the winter squashes, um, cellar stable types, types of food. And so uh, that's the way I do the carb cycling with people. And I'm, you know, you, you know, this too, you're careful about it. You don't have them do like 300 grams of carbs their first time. Like that you start with, you know, maybe a, a, a potato at the end of your meal. Right. <laughs> and then you go for a nice 20, 25 minute walk afterwards. Um, and you do that in the middle of the day. And that might be the first time that you do the carb cycling. If you haven't had carbohydrates in a few years, I'm very like, gentle with people. And that might be enough for some people during the potato one day a week, couple days a week to start getting their body out of that, uh, really stressed out state and, and giving their body more signals. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I'm careful about helping. And, and the people, you know, this is why I'm so big on the circadian piece, also, is because you get so much neurotransmitter support from uh, sunrise and UVA light. UVA light is huge for serotonin, dopamine, noradrenaline, all of these things. This chemical called POMC that is cleaved during UVA light that is actually an appetite suppressant. And so I don't have people just do the food. You've got to do the light piece too, because you're going to support your brain. And a lot of us, that do keto and carnivore, myself especially, came from a very disordered background of eating, binge eating, and I was terrified to try carbs because I was afraid I was going to just go nuts. And so I'm like, you've got to do the light piece with the carb reintroduction because your neurotransmitters are going to get so much support from that sunlight and then blocking the blue light after dark as well is equally important. And I find that people, you know, that previously had a lot of issues with binge eating and the carbs, they're terrified of it. They are doing these protocols and they're able to successfully bring some carbs back in without going completely off the rails.
0: Very cool that you tie in the, the sunlight, the, the UV, UV, UVB you said, or UVA,
1: UVA, UVA. UVA, So it's sunrise is you know, obviously when we first come up is sunrise is usually the first you know, 45 minutes of the day. And the next little piece that's super important is UVA. That UVA window, that is responsible for, again, serotonin, dopamine, C. It also tells your body to make thyroid hormones, sex hormones, like all those hormones, everything comes online in that UVA window. So it's really crucial that people are getting that.
0: Meaning you get outside in the morning when the sun is rising, you're taking off your damn sunglasses, you're not covering your body. Isn't it drive you nuts when you see people outside maybe in the morning but wearing sunglasses Sunglass.
1: I'm like you almost had it right like you're out you're good you're outside in the morning this is fabulous but you you're like why why are you wearing sunglasses you don't even need sunglasses first thing in the morning it's not even that bright
0: that's so true and I see it all the time I get in my mom's case all the time because she used to wear sunglasses all the time I'm like mom take the sunglasses off you're going to benefit so much more so that's interesting. You could actually get that morning sunlight and uh, on that day, it would be a good day to actually introduce more carbs. You're going to handle it better. I also think it's, a, it's also important to note that if you're going to reintroduce more healthy carbs, specific carbs to your unique needs, it's important to lower fat on that day. You don't want to have, have talk about that while you don't want to eat high fat and high carb at the same meal.
1: Right. Well, I mean, that's just a recipe to to gain weight, essentially. Exactly. Being really simple <laughs> terms. You know, most people are they're not coming to me to gain weight. Some people do, um, but a lot, of, most people are coming to me to lose weight or just feel better and not gain weight. And so that's you know, you have to have protein is a is a solid macronutrient. You got to have it in there. We keep that consistent. I know you're on the same page with me. Is that is important for leptin? Important for so many functions in your body, brain health, all that bioavailable protein, right? Eggs, red meat, uh, wild fish, you know, because I got a lot of people, can you do this vegan? And I'm like, I'd rather you not.
0: It's um, yeah. <laughs> just much more challenging.
1: It's not, it's going to be real hard, but that protein stays consistent. And then yeah, the carbs or the fat or the lever, right? So you're either going to have more fat to push you more towards ketosis or you're going to have more carbohydrates, bring the fat down so that you're more in that glucose burning state. So I think that's, yeah, it's important to make that distinction for people as well.
0: Yeah. Very important because the body can't burn fat uh, and sugar at the same time. So uh, it's going to choose sugar. Meaning if you ate a high fat meal with a high carb meal, the Randall cycle will choose to burn the glucose first because glucose is a toxin in excess. And then you'll have fat pool up in the bloodstream, which is inflammatory, but also to your point, Sarah, it's going to cause you to probably stall with your weight loss or potentially even gain weight. Let's talk a little bit more about the light piece. Um, We have... um, in our Keto Camp Academy, Coach Becky Niles, who I know that you're familiar with, she's amazing. She teaches us a lot about circadian rhythm in our students, so shout out to Coach Becky. I want to talk about um, some creative ways that you use red light. You mentioned you put it on your stomach, and that is very in- What does the research show with putting red light around your stomach, and do you do it after, before a meal? Is there some timing with that?
1: No, I don't really time it with meals or anything like that. I just try to do it as long as the sun is up because there is some research that shows that these wavelengths that are more powerful infrared can stop your body from making melatonin. And so I always tell people, if you're going to do red light therapy with a a powerful panel, there's that research that shows you will stop melatonin production. So don't do it after sunset. And that's pineal melatonin because you actually do make subcellular melatonin in response to infrared. So- it's pretty cool that you do, you can make melatonin during the day using infrared panel. But there's research that shows, it was actually done on Parkinson's patients that showed major increase in gut microbiome diversity when doing red light therapy on the gut specifically. And that kind of happened to me by accident because... I was trying to get pregnant. I had had multiple miscarriages and I started diving into the research on red light therapy, infrared light, and found some interesting studies showing women over 40 who had had failed IVF and did, I think it was like a 60 to 90 day protocol of red light therapy on the abdomen. And it was a, very large percentage of them got pregnant naturally. And I think the oldest participant in the study was like 52.
0: Wow.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, I'm getting a panel. I'm starting this right now. And so, yeah, I bought it immediately. I was hooked on red light therapy, loved it from the get-go because it made my body feel so relaxed and I still utilize it, you know, at least five days a week. Love it. But that was the reason I did it. And what I noticed when, and I know the circadian piece is a big part of this as well, because your gut is timed up with your circadian rhythms as well. If you have poor circadian health, that's also tied to SIBO and uh, gut dysbiosis and all kinds of gut issues because that gut lining is never fully repairing if you have crappy circadian health. So I had the circadian piece. I was grounding. I was getting daily sunlight. I was doing red light therapy, blocking blue light after dark. And all of a sudden my histamine issues went away. I'm
0: like, mm, what? interesting.
1: what is this? You know, because I had been struggling since 2020. 2020 is when I started having histamine issues and I was on carnivore. I'm like, God, this doesn't make any freaking sense. I'm on carnivore. And I tried, you know, did thymus and kidney and, you know, all the things that you do in the functional world. And it helped a little bit, but I would still have an issue. Like if I wanted to have like an avocado, I'd get heart palpitations. Or if I had, you know, wanted to have sauerkraut or fermented foods and my body would just react. And so it was kind of by accident from doing the red light therapy combined with all the circadian piece with the goal of getting pregnant that my histamine issues went away.
0: That's incredible. (laughs) And I noticed
1: I could eat things and my body was just like, yeah, we can handle this. It's cool. You know,
0: (laughs) that is so cool. And you ended up getting pregnant, didn't you?
1: I did. I did. After, I think it was about four months after I implemented these things. And I also did cold plunging as well as part of my protocol. Which Why, is...
0: Why'd you do the cold plunge? What, what, did you, what was the purpose for that?
1: So cold plunging, what it does in the mitochondria is pretty cool. You know, we have the uh, five respiratory proteins in the mitochondria that electrons tunnel through. And, you know, we make deuterium depleted water at step four, it's crucial, right? This electron flow in the mitochondria. So if the proteins are too far spread apart, we get reactive oxygen species, which are not always bad, but we get a lot of inflammation. So one of the things that cold therapy does is brings those respiratory proteins closer together. So more electrons can flow through in the mitochondria. You make more deuterium depleted water, increase your body's electrical charge so that there's more coherence. And so, a lot of people will say cold plunging is like the worst thing you can do for fertility, but I actually did it in a way that it supported my hormones, and I think that that was the the, the last little thing I added, the last little piece that I added, that you know, I did I cold plunged up until ovulation, January 2022. It was January 14th, full moon. I was like, oh, ovulating. Okay, so this morning is my last cold plunge, and stop cold plunging after ovulation. And then at the end of that month, pregnant with my son. Wow. Yep. And so I'm a huge believer in it, but she, it's kind of like fasting and keto. You have to do it with nuance and respect for your hormones. Right. So the, the oh, mistake yeah. I see people making is like, I got a cold plunge every day. I got to do it five days, six days a week, 30, you know, more is better. It's the American way, more, better, faster, with a woman, you have to ease your way into it. You don't just jump into 32 degrees your first time. You start it out at 60, 65 degrees, five minutes at a time, three times a week, slowly ink it down. You know, if you're in that, you know, luteal phase and you don't feel good, listen to that. Don't push through luteal phase and cold plunging. Maybe even take the week, you know, days 21 through 28, maybe take it off, right? Right. But that's, I've, you know, I have a fertility course and I actually have a ton of women. (laughs) Right now I have a 44 year old who just announced a pregnancy in my uh, private membership group. And people are doing these leptin protocols, cold plunging, and they're, they're getting pregnant. So it's, uh, I'm a big believer in it.
0: Uh, I love it. Okay. A lot to unpack there. Um, Number one, you are spot on about people hearing about cold plunging or even red light therapy or fasting or keto or even exercise These are all hormetic stressors and they're essential. We want to make sure we have a high hormetic ceiling and we could incorporate more of these stressors and adapt and get stronger. So many people don't understand hormesis. So many people violate the principle of hormesis. And how many of these cold plunge coaches out there are getting these women or even men and coaching them on, oh, are you on your luteal phase or are you ovulating? None of them. Zero. I mean, none of them are doing that. The standard question that I ask these cold plunge coaches is how often, like, let's say you have a beginner that comes in or even somebody as, as, as advanced when they come into your facility. How long do you have them go into the cold plunge? Three minutes. Three minutes. Even if they're brand new? Yeah, three minutes. That's like the answer. I'm like, three minutes at... 39 degrees.
1: That's a lot for somebody brand. No, no, no. My husband, my husband tried that because we bought a cold plunge for, I bought it for myself after I had the baby. It was my, one of my gifts to myself. So we got a Morosco Forge, which I love. And my husband was, it's, it's awesome. My husband's like, all right, I want to try it. And I had down, had it down to 39 degrees and he almost had a heart attack. Like, I'm not even kidding you. He literally like thought he was going to have a heart attack. And then I, I kind of, it reminded me, I'm like, oh yeah, that's not how I coach people. That's not how I have people do it. It's just jump in your first time to 39 degrees because you can't, I mean, people that have heart issues can't actually have a heart attack, you know? They can. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, uh, and, or a heart arrhythmia or something going on with their heart. So it's always important to consider that, especially if you're mitochondrial challenge right now, like go low and slow with these things. Hey, keto camper. There's something that I do every single day to supercharge my mitochondria to help with inflammation and soreness from a workout. And that is the use of red light therapy. This is called photobiomodulation. And there's a ton of research that shows the benefits of near-infrared and red light therapy. The red light therapy that I use is from Bon Charge. I simply use it 10 to 20 minutes per day. It has both near-infrared and red light. And every single day when I use this, I feel ready to take on my day. So whether you're dealing with gut pain, joint inflammation, or you want to just supercharge your mitochondria, get your hands on a quality red light therapy device. And I highly recommend the one from Bon Charge. They hooked you all up for being a Keto Camp podcast listener with a 15% off coupon code. All you need to do, check out this product and all the wonderful products they have available is to go to boncharge.com slash ketocamp and use the coupon code keto camp at checkout to save 15% off your order. We will drop that link and coupon code in the podcast notes. Go check it out. And let's get right back to this episode. I'm very excited, Sarah, because tomorrow I'm actually getting my cold plunge delivered to me. I'm getting the one from plunge.com. I I interviewed the co-founder a few weeks ago, he flew in here for an interview, Ryan Dewey. So I'm getting one tomorrow. It's getting delivered. And I am going to go low and slow. I'm going to start at 60, even though I'm not a a woman, but I'm going to start at 60, do a few minutes and then slowly build it back down. What's going to be interesting about me, Sarah, is that I have Raynods.
1: Oh, I've had quite a few women with Raynods actually do cold plunging and it helps.
0: Yeah, it helps. Right. So deliberate cold exposure, like with the right amount and temperature and, and duration actually helps. Right. So tell me what you've seen with that.
1: Well, I mean, you have to be very careful and go very slow, but I've seen a lot of women just ha- I haven't worked with any men in particular that have renods, but a lot of women have a lot of success, a lot of pain relief, you know, a lot of inflammation goes down with the cold plunging. We just have to be, yeah, start at 60. <laughs> no, no reason to, no reason to rush it and shock your system because it can be too much. So those clients I am like, Very like hyper, like okay, no more than three days a week. You know, stay at sixty for a little while. Then maybe you go to fifty-five. Then maybe you go to fifty. Like we're going down in five-degree increments. You know, people that don't necessarily have those conditions, I will say you can go down in a ten-degree increment when you feel like you're ready, but not with, not with that one.
0: That's great coaching. It's exactly the way to do it. So I'm gonna do something similar. I'm gonna you know get my body adapting to it. The ultimate thing, I always ask people who do these cold plunges and different biohacks, I always ask them, how did you feel the rest of the day? It's like the golden question, right? Oh, Ben, I felt so energized, amazing, I was productive. That's great. You found a good duration, and a good temperature, you could do that again. But then they'll say, I felt wiped out, Ben. Uh, you did too much, you violated hormesis, right? So that's a yeah. good gauge, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that one is a big one if you're feeling exhausted. I've had people um develop an eye twitch. I'm like, yeah, you did too much. Um, the other one is if you if you can't warm up within an hour, like you've done the cold plunge and your body naturally should warm back up. But if it's been more than an hour and you're still freezing cold then you did too much for yourself that day and you got to back it off a little bit.
0: Yeah. And another thing, another way to do cold plunging the wrong way is to do it after a workout or exercise. I was going to say
1: that. Yeah. if You've just done some strength training and you've really just kicked butt in the gym. The last thing you want to do is a cold plunge. You really want to allow your body to heal naturally from the workout and not go in there when muscles are torn, because that can actually slow down that repair process.
0: It blocks innate intelligence. It's why you don't want to take antioxidants after a workout too. You just want the inflammation's there for a purpose and you don't want to block it. I actually heard the founder of Morosco Forge say the best way to use it is to cool down to warm up, meaning you do it before a workout to actually get the best. So that's what I'm going to do but before a workout. I'm going to do a little bit of some cold plunging. Perfect.
1: Yeah. That's the way I recommend it for people and just, you know, try to, it's, it can be super addicting. So you want to do it more. I had to stop my husband cause he was like going every day and like, he kept <laughs> yeah. on making it colder and colder. I'm like, you gotta give it time. And he's like, I just did eleven minutes at thirty-five. No. I'm like, oh my dude, gosh. you gotta slow down.
0: Wow. So you went from <laughs> almost having a heart attack to doing eleven minutes at thirty-five degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah,
1: because wow. yeah, it felt so good. I mean, it it feels really good and uh it gets that dopamine going and it's it feels good, but you have to like you- take a step back and like chill a little bit because you can, you know, then you're like, why am I getting sick all the time? Like what's, what's going on? Yeah, why do I feel like so crap? True. I'm like, you're pushing yourself too hard.
0: Yeah. I could also see that to be the case with, uh, when you buy like these really expensive cold plunges, like the Morosco Forge or like the one I'm getting, like I spent all this money. I'm going to use that thing every single day. No, every that's day. Not, yep. not a good idea. Okay. No,
1: I mean, mine's been sitting, we've, I've only used it twice since the middle of August cause I've had such a high stress load. And oh, so that's right. another thing. Smart. Like, I I tell people, I'm like, if you have a lot of stress going on in your life, if your sleep is really bad, if you've got, you know, you're just going through something, just don't force yourself to cold plunge. Like it's going to be there for you when the stress passes, when the sleep gets better. So if you're going through something, just don't make, don't feel guilty or bad for not doing it because that could push your body over.
0: Yeah, that's a fair point. Same thing with fasting. I have my students uh, track heart rate variability as a good gauge to, Maybe this is a good cold plunge day. Maybe this is a good 24-hour fast day because your HRV is higher than normal. But if it's lower than normal, it's not a good day for that. I love the HRV as a gauge for that.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: I want to close the conversation speaking about the circadian rhythm in terms of food timing. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you, if we would have had this conversation, Sarah, when we first met and when I was on your podcast, I would have told your audience breakfast is the dumbest meal of the day. Skip breakfast, have lunch and dinner. Breakfast is stupid. Just be in a fasted state. That's what I do. The research shows that's the way to do it now. You know, we fast forward and uh, I've seen the opposite to be true (laughs) that it's actually better to have most of your calories earlier in the day. Dr. Sachin Panda has a lot of research on that and you've done a lot of research on that. So for those who are doing intermittent fasting, my audience, Share with them, inspire them, and give them the research to why it's better to have breakfast and lunch and skip dinner versus having lunch and dinner and skipping breakfast.
1: Well, when you understand how your hormones work on a circadian rhythm, that is where it clicks for you as to why you don't want to be eating later in the day. If your goal is autophagy, if your goal is weight loss, if your goal is optimal health, you really want to eat earlier in the day when the cortisol is a little bit higher and you're more insulin sensitive in the morning. So there's research that shows, you know, the same meal that you eat in the beginning of the day is actually processed different. If you eat it at the end of the day, your body is more able to uh, utilize that f- food for fuel, break it down, utilize those macronutrients. If you eat it in the beginning of the day versus the end of the day, there's take a that lot way, st- Norton. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's a lot. I mean, there's people that say there's no studies. They just are looking at what they want to look at. They're not looking at, correct. there's tons of studies. There's more studies that, that show, you know, eating at the end of the day and skipping breakfast. There's actual studies that show people that skip breakfast are more prone to diabetes and being overweight. There's a lot of studies about that. So there's a lot of studies that show it causes the cortisol to be too high, which again is going, is, you know, cortisol on a circadian rhythm. It, it starts rising in the morning, right? It goes up, 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 and then it should start falling for the rest of the day. When you eat, you actually do have a little bit of a cortisol response, and this is not a bad thing, but at night in the evening, we want to start making melatonin and cortisol and melatonin oppose one another. So that's another reason why I'm a stickler for blocking blue light at night because that causes cortisol rise. Eating after dark also causes a cortisol rise. And and also eating too close to bedtime can block leptin from docking to the hypothalamus. And that is a huge thing for leptin resistance. If you are leptin resistant, and if you're 20 pounds or more overweight, then you can assume you're leptin resistant, right? your body is supposed to give a report every single night between 12 and two. This is leptin docking to the hypothalamus to say, Hey, I have X amount of stored energy on the body. So thyroid do this hunger, do this like this. It's like I said, it's a master circadian signaling hormone. And when you eat too close to bed, you can actually blunt that process of leptin docking to the hypothalamus when you're sleeping. And so there's, you know, we stop melatonin production. We can interfere with the leptin docking to the hypothalamus. Like we're not able to, everyone talks about when you're fasting, autophagy and apoptosis, you want melatonin pumping when you're doing that because it's it's a master antioxidant. And so is, for autophagy and apoptosis, you're going to get the most bang for your buck if that's happening while you're sleeping, while you're repairing. So that's why I tell people, if you want to fast, have breakfast and lunch, and then skip the dinner, right? If you want to do a 24-hour fast, go breakfast to breakfast. And, you know, yeah, it is a little bit more challenging for a lot of people because it's easier to just run on those stress hormones and skip the breakfast, right? But over time, that's going to dysregulate your cortisol, dysregulate your leptin, and end up in that situation that I was in with carnivore and fasting for a couple years straight where – I'm leptin resistant and I'm fasting and I'm not eating every day till two o'clock and I can't lose weight. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And so that's a very common situation for especially women when doing these, you know, keto and carnivore diets.
0: Yeah, uh, so good. And that's a wake up call for those who practice fasting and are skipping breakfast. And look, I know this is the truth we just shared. And even knowing those facts, I personally still have a hard time eating breakfast. Like I'm just so used to, doing my thing. So I I my ultimate goal is just to have most of my calories as early as possible in the day. So if you're having trouble eating breakfast most days, then just get it earlier in the day as much as possible because that's just going to help and and also uh insulin and melatonin also have this inverted relationship, which is another reason why you don't want to eat before bed. I'm curious about one thing that I haven't gotten clear on. I I'm, I'm wondering if you have done research on this ghrelin the hormone ghrelin um i've seen some research showing that it's at its lowest point or at a low point in the morning around eight and nine a.m in the morning and that was part of the reason why i would say it doesn't make sense to eat at that time but what is the role of ghrelin and why is it low in the morning or maybe other research shows it's not as low as i thought
1: yeah i mean it's it i think it's dependent upon the study to be honest with you and a lot of the studies are done you know in a lab under blue light like so it's I think it's totally study dependent, but leptin and ghrelin have a relationship as well. And so when I think about that morning time, that's again, when you want that leptin signaling to happen, I think that it ha- there's possibly some kind of a relationship with cortisol as well. And so a lot of people, their cortisol might be too high and that's why the, the ghrelin is so low. So ah, there's interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, the blue lights would do that, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: That makes so there's, sense.
1: I mean, yeah, there's, there's. I don't know. there's interesting research on it, and like I said, you can find a study on
0: anything you're looking <laughs> pretty, for, much, pretty much anything you're looking yeah. for at this
1: point to support your data. yeah what I look at is just what's working for people that's honestly. It. and and how are people responding to this? are they do they have more energy? Do they feel better? Are they losing weight? How's their mood? How's their sleep? All that's that's what I look at.
0: That is the ultimate way to look at it. It's You are unique. How do you feel? If you're doing breakfast and lunch and you notice a positive difference, whether there's studies on it or not, who cares? There is your result right there. I have one final question as we wrap this up. What's about gratitude? I'm a big believer in what I call vitamin G, the best supplement in the world. Um, can't overdose on it, anti-inflammatory. It's gonna help with all the things we spoke about today. So I wanna ask you, Sarah, what do you got vitamin G for today?
1: definitely this the life that i've built where i have the ability to be close to my family and my children it's really lovely to just get to have them close by and just this life i've created is is really i'm grateful for it i'm grateful for uh morning sunlight and just all these all these things i continue to learn it's it's a really interesting journey
0: amen amen to all that i love that so your website is sarahkleinerwellness.com is there another website you want to share
1: That's it. And they can get all my free resources on the website. They can also get uh, my courses, podcast, YouTube channel, everything is just at sarahkleinerwellness.com.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. And your podcast is fantastic. So everybody go subscribe to it. The Evolving Wellness Podcast with Sarah Kleiner Wellness your, your Instagram handle is not the Yogi Carnivore anymore. Mm. What, it's it's your Sarah name, Kleiner right? Wellness. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. We'll, Everything we'll is
1: transitioned over now. <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll put all that in the YouTube notes and the podcast notes. Everybody go check out Sarah's work, her courses or programs. And we'll bring you back, Sarah, for a round two because there's a lot more we could geek out on. But you were awesome today. I really appreciate your dedication to educating so many people and helping uh, educate me and my audience today. So Sarah, I, I really look forward to round two. Thank you so much for coming on today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sarah Kleiner. If you want to watch the video format of today's interview and all of our interviews that could be found on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Sarah's website is sarahkleinerwellness.com. podcast is the Evolving Wellness Podcast with Sarah Kleiner. She also has a brilliant YouTube channel as well. Go subscribe to all of those platforms. Please consider sharing this episode with a friend, somebody you know who could take a lot of value from a conversation like this. Please also leave the show a rating and a review. Thank you for spending part of your day with Sarah and myself. I'll see you on the next episode.